Welcome to the RGG EDU podcast, where they talk a little photography and drink a lot of whiskey. Season three of the RGG EDU podcast is brought to you by Smug Mug. Yeah, they got a ridiculous grin and the name is funny, but Smug Mug is serious about photography. If you're ready to upgrade your photo game online, get your ass over to SmugMug.com to see where the pros are storing, showing, and selling their images. In this episode, we're joined with the Sultan of Sweaters, the King of Composition, <laughs> Eric Almas. Eric just kind of randomly, at last second, stopped by the studio. We're here in St. Louis, and we also have Rob Grimm with us as well. Here as always. So for all of our listeners, Eric was one of the first tutorials that we did um, on color composition, and we traveled to California, went on this crazy production, and produced one of my favorite tutorials to this day. Eric, it's thank been, you. It's been almost, uh, I think, a year and a half since we published it. What's changed in that time? N- nothing. No, Still nothing. salt in those sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know, Eric has the best sweater collection anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. It's I kind of pride myself on it too. I get compliments on those sweaters Dude, all great. the I'm time. Serious. I want to go sweater shopping with you. I want to take a, like a weekend just to go sweater shopping. I got to up my sweater game. It means and a I think week. You're the it key. means you flying to Norway and hang out with me. That's not a terrible thing. How Let's many sweaters it. would you say you own? Oh, that's unknown. It's, unknown. it's like asking a girl how many pairs of shoes she has. You know, it's, <laughs> like... <laughs> that's unknown. I like it. Yeah. So ballpark at 40? We're talking like 150. No. no. Are there some in storage? 40 is closer to the right answer 40. for sure. Not 150. Wow. So, so you could go man. through a whole season and only repeat maybe once? Maybe. Okay, my life is in a suitcase, right? So I have three, four favorites that sort of circle. It's in and out of that suitcase. <laughs> no room for 40. Right. Yeah. And how old are those four? Are those like three, four years old? Are they seasonal? You get new... Oh, they're definitely seasonal. Yeah. Yeah. What's the key, what's the key I, to I buying buy a good sweater? I... Like what makes a really good sweater? Depends on your style and taste, I guess. But for me, it's just whatever I resonate with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And are these, are these right. handmade sweaters? We're just going to keep this going. Yeah, this <laughs> we could, honestly, I think we could do people, 45 people minutes this, of sweaters. Yeah. this to hear about photography. Let's <laughs> talk about sweaters. Well, I, I think it says a lot about your character and the, the type of sweaters that He's you He's a big wear, fan you know? of the button-down, yeah. the cardigan. Yeah. And unfortunately, he just took his sweater off. I know. We'll put it yeah. back on for this. So we're talking about it. We it's too, have... too toasty. Yeah. yeah we, we got to take the hot that off. On. We got the hot lights on. All right. So beyond sweaters, what are you currently working on? What's the last job you did? Last assignment I did, let me think, healthcare assignment. So I do a lot of commercial work, pretty much exclusively, and that spans um, a lot of hospitality work. Done a couple of hotels the last half year. Um, healthcare, I do quite a bit of. I have this romantic sort of style that really fits into that market quite well. And then some liquor, some other random assignments here and there, but the very last one was healthcare. You... I, I, Vaguely remember you referring to your work as uh, quiet, uh, quiet places and big spaces. Yeah, something mm-hmm. like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. That something around that. Yeah, is that is that still your style? Has your style changed since we've done our tutorial? Um, no, no, still my style at the bottom for sure. But I think with any photographer, right, we try to explore uh, how to get better. And for me, that's a human connection more and more so. Right, I have this big expansive landscape, and what I try to do. Uh, the last few years, I think we talked about this in the tutorial too, to try to bring some sense of connection to the human element within that space, right? So there's not just big and beautiful and someone doing an activity, but some person there that actually connects to the viewer. 
or to me as the photographer taking the picture. So that's what I'm more and more conscious of as I take pictures, that it's not just about me and my light and my flavor, but it's actually a connection to the person I'm taking a picture of. So always top of mind when I take any picture now to think, how do I connect with the people within my space that I photograph? How do you think you expand that connection? Because that's a hard thing for people to do. To, ah. to, build, to build the connection with the subject, particularly quickly, because you don't have a ton of time with them often. Yes. So before it was most so that, okay, so here's my light, look at the light, stand here, make mm-hmm. sure the comp- composition is perfect. And that was one of my fallback, right, to make things look really beautiful. Now I create a narrative for the person I photograph. So this is who you are. This is my story within the photograph. And you try to act it out. Take a deep breath. Uh, think about the emotional aspect within that character that you are. How does that make you feel? How do you relate to it? Is it uplifting? Is it quiet? How do you see yourself as that person in this picture that we're trying to take? And just act it out. Don't just stand there and look at the light, but come walking through the space, pause there for a minute, think a thought, keep on moving. So, do so you it's actually, more situational for me now than it was. That's interesting. Do you write a narrative for them? Are you creating a narrative or are you just kind of telling it to them? Uh, telling it to them. Yeah. So we don't really write it out. I have a conversation with the creatives, right, about what the intention of that is. Mm. And then I always find how I can relate to it best. So it becomes personal to me. So it's not just me executing an ad. It's actually something that I can relate to or care about. And I tell them both what the ad is about and how I see it done. And this is who you are in action more so than, okay, stand right there, look at the light, smile. So it's not that. I think that makes people more self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Now it's more, this is who you are. Take a deep breath, put yourself in that space and walk into it and I'll take pictures. Yeah. I remember the, the one, the crash scene, if you remember that, we were in the, in the river, it's cold, and you were actually having the model. I remember very specifically, you, were, like, you told her the incident, the crash just happened, and you had her walking back and forth. You're trying natural light, you're trying strobes, kind of going back and forth, really getting her into character. And that water was cold, so she was somewhat in pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I even told her that, right? That use that in your character. So don't pause and think you're doing something wrong as you walk through that water and you feel cold. Just embrace that as part of what you're doing in this moment, right? Yeah, that was brutal. I mean, it was cold. She Mm -hmm. was like, I remember her foot was bleeding at one point, I think. Yeah, she (laughs) stepped on a rock and we went with that. Yeah. Yeah. She was a trooper. She was a trooper. That will set you apart from a lot of photographers because I don't think a lot of photographers... Um, take the time with the creative directors to really understand what the ad is trying to say. They're simply trying to execute what the creative directors are telling them. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. So I did the same thing, right? You yeah. get this ad and all you're trying to do is to to please in some ways and you just want to execute that. And you forget that only part of that is um, the execution of it. The emotional component is just as important. So, so for me, as I've gotten really solid in my craft, I feel like I have the execution down it's more and more about the emotional content right so when they walk through the scene or whatever they actually express something that relates to what we're doing and not just become a part of it as a static sort of person was there a switch for you where you said i got to try this and and was it nerve-wracking to to kind of throw that out there with the creative directors or was it just the the natural progression a natural progression i think i can't remember that it was an aha moment but it's gradually right you what the heck, what can I do to get better at my craft? Mm-hmm. What is it that's missing? And we talked about that in the tutorial, right? Where you can pull out pictures or use references to find what you're attracted to and out of that, find what you really want to do with your own work. So 
That's you, part of my process still, where I look at what other people are doing and what in that am I attracted to and how I can apply that to myself. And a lot of that is just the portrait work. Where are you looking now to, to find that inspiration? Oh, that's everywhere now. Everywhere. Yeah, it's not, it used to be Back one magazine or one place, right? But now it's everywhere. Do you get yeah. tired of looking everywhere from at everything with all the images on Instagram? Is that exhausting? Because it is for me. Yeah, no, it is. And we had that conversation just now over lunch. You know, I haven't really been so active on social media anymore because I had to take a break from it. It's exciting, right? And it's a part of marketing. It's part of what you need to do. But I just had to take a big break from it and say, yeah. I'm just going to pause on this a little bit. And what I find, that's, this was a realization that every, in the quiet moments is when I get creative, I get ideas, right? But every time I had a quiet moment, I would pick up my phone. So whenever you pause for a minute, you look at the phone, you look at social media, you read the news, you check your email, you do all this stuff. So in the end, there is no quiet moments to be creative. Yep. It right. killed You're me. You're constantly right? occupied. Yeah, it killed me. Right. I felt the only times I were creative was in the shower and running. It's really? coming from a guy with two phones, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Eric has two phones. No, no. Okay, so the idea there was to manage it, right? So my coach I've been working with for years challenged me to get a flip phone, like an old school green screen, no smartphone. And I was reluctant as hell, and we realized that it's not really that. It's because I need to be connected, right? I need to know what's going on and run my business, mm -hmm. even though I travel, but... I wanted to stay away from, yeah, just letting those moments happen where I'm, if not bored, can actually pause and think about life and me and let all the impressions absorb and try to come up with new pictures. Yeah. So. My seven-year-old daughter gives both me and my wife a hard time. Oh, you guys are on your phone again instead of like engaging in whatever moment that might be, whether at the park or, or anything. I mean, I find myself having those same situations like, why did I just pull my phone out? I didn't even want to pull my phone out. It was just muscle memory of like, Bam. Right. Bam. Like, and part of that is, you know, this, this company, like being connected, seeing what our community is doing online, seeing what emails we've gotten. I have to be connected, but yeah. there are times when you just really want to find, you know, solace somewhere else. Yeah. So, so we all have to be connected. I think we got to just be aware of it and then make sure we get set aside time to actually yep. be quiet. Yeah. You have to make a choice. I didn't bring my phone with us to launch. It's not on me right now. Sometimes I just leave it. I don't want to be connected every minute. Yeah, actually, Friday night I forgot my phone here and went out, and I was like, you know Did what? You I'm make just, it okay. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it. But I kept reaching for it because there was like moments that I maybe wanted to take a picture of. But then that got me thinking of like, do I really need a picture of that? No. I'm not gonna do anything with a picture of that. It's just gonna take up space. Mm. I'm probably never gonna look at it again. Why yeah. do I need to take a picture of everything? Live you know in the mean? moment. Yeah. Live in the moment. Ugh. Anyway, so I think this is this is a great conversation in that right. If you want to be creative, I would. Try to let loan, you know, all the digital media, TV, all that stuff for a minute and just sit with yourself. I think it's good. I think it's good advice. I yeah. think a lot of people need to do that. I needed to do it. Yeah. I still need to do it. It's still too much. But we should have a moment of silence for a moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just sit with ourselves. <laughs> That's a great That's podcast. That's awesome for the podcast, yeah. <laughs> this moment of silence is brought to you by RTG. Yeah. We're, we're here. We're just silent. We're going to really help you out here. <laughs> okay, everybody be creative for 60 seconds. Uh, no, let's get, let's, get back, let's get back to you as a commercial photographer. What was your favorite job or campaign you did in the last 12, 18 months? What um, really stands out? Man, I had a few. I had, I've been on a tear and I've done some really great assignments. Um, I did one that I just, um, that just got launched for our Sheraton Hotels. Just a lot of fun. 
um, both composites, all locations, and it was about going above and beyond. So you can just imagine this scenario when someone crosses a desert to bring you your bags or climbs a mountain to find you a cherry to bring on your little cake. So it was scenarios where taken to the extreme where you're going to go above and beyond to help someone out. So that was a lot of fun. And then it was an amazing assignment for Chase Bank that took us on the road for six weeks of shooting and the travel in between. So it took up almost a quarter of my time to take the pictures and get them retouched and out the door. So Quarter of the year. Yes. Yeah. It took us almost three months that's from a, when that's we a started. Big project. It's a, an amazing project, yeah. So how does how does someone find you? How does that job start? How did they did you ask how did they found you? So I did. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I market myself in this magazine called Archive. And some of the listeners might know of it, and if you do, you're probably thirty five years or older. If you're younger, you probably never heard of Archive, but it's an industry magazine for advertising where uh, they showcase the best of the advertising work worldwide and people like me um, advertise in there. So I've had the inside back cover of that magazine for years and it's a pretty healthy cost to, to do so. And I've been thinking about letting that go and maybe invest that in social media and other platforms, right? So I asked everyone and when I got this assignment, there was an older art director uh, and then a, a young art director. And I just assumed that this was the older art director finding me an archive, wanting to hire a really solid guy for what's a really big project. And it turns out it was the younger art director that found me on Behance. So that was a complete shocker. Are you active on Behance? Do you update that like you do everything else? Uh, no. So that's been almost at a standstill the last year, partly because of what my life changers personally have been. You've had a busy year. Let's, I, talk, let's talk about your year. My year has been crazy. <laughs> I have been, um, my agents folded, so I've been agentless and had the busiest year um, in my career. I've gotten engaged. I made my fiance pregnant. I have <laughs> sold I made my fiance I, pregnant. I like what you said that. <laughs> I made her pregnant you so hard. Pregnant. <laughs> oh, uh, both. I mean, I'm really excited yeah. uh, about that part of my life too. And uh, I moved twice. I fixed up one home in the middle of fixing up another. And sold a third. So it's been been a busy, busy year. How do you keep it all straight? I don't. You don't? Shit, no. That's why he says Can't keep it straight. Yeah. Uh, no, so I, I do keep it straight, right? What's important. So you just got to make space and time for the things that's happening there. So my life is a little bit like an emergency room, right? Where the stuff that needs to happen now gets done. And whatever doesn't need to happen right now, uh, get put on the back burner. So... You know, you try, to, yeah, you try to catch up, you do what's most important and you meet your deadlines and that goes out and then you take care of all the other stuff afterwards. Are you still retouching um, most of your stuff till like, I think you said like till 90% or 95%, are you still doing that or are you finally outsourcing all of it? No, so for a long time. So I would say when I say 90%, it's 90% of the look of it, Yeah. right? So I sit with it, do the composites, add the clouds, give it my color and feel. And that maybe is 90% of the look, but that's maybe 10% of the time. Then I hand it off and I have my retoucher, Chris, out of Atlanta, who's extraordinary, been working with me for years and years, who will mask it up perfectly. Um, he likes to layer things differently, smarter than what I do. So I put it together. He relayers, does it Does he start over? Does he take your base files no, and do it completely? Or it, does he work on your working files? He works on my files, yeah. 
Um, so you know, so you think. <laughs> no. He doesn't know. <laughs> you get no. it back; it's all relabeled. When no. when you start getting into a lot of layers, right, in a file, it's not the best option to have the clouds on the top, for instance. So he liked to work a little bit different than I am. So he layers it so that the file is truly built from the back, back piece forward. to the forward. So it's just a different way of working. Yeah, that's a that's a. I it's not a different way. way. I mean, we work exactly the same way because we've been having this back and forth relationship with files for seven, yeah. eight years. But he fine tunes it. And then it also gives, um, I think at times, better customer service than I do. Because I could be, I oh, want to change it that way? That doesn't quite make sense, right? So I try to advise my clients on, this is not the right way you would do this, versus Chris would probably just say, great, I'll get that for you right away. So you give him control to actually speak with the clients? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm involved in everything, but he's also um, been with me for so long that he wouldn't do anything crazy. Right. Yeah. I, do, I do that with my retoucher, Julie, because I'm off on another project some of the time. Yeah. And I just turn it over to her, and she's great with customers. I mean, she yeah. handles my clients really, really well. And so does uh, Chris. So. Yeah, it's total safety. It's great. Now that you don't have a rep, how has it changed with your clients talking directly to you versus through an agency? Uh, I think almost for the better. So it's great to have an agent when it comes to those uncomfortable moments where, hey, you know, I got to have more money for this. This is more usage. This is not what we talked about up front. So it's, better for, an, yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. better for an agent to have those conversations on a phone call rather than me or my producer, Stuart, having it. Um, so that is not so great. But then there's parts of it where I feel our swing percentage and landing assignments have increased. So... Usually when people bid on commercial assignments, it's three or sometimes five now that's up against uh, the same assignment, right? You write a treatment, you get into the conversations of it. And I think an agent would usually have that responsibility, right? And have those conversations. Now it's myself and my producer that have those conversations. And I think it's one more immediate because they get to talk to one the creator and to the producer. And um, I think they like it. I think they really enjoy hearing from the photographer and also directly from the producer is going to make all this stuff happen for them rather than going to an agent that says, well, let me talk to Eric. Let me talk to the producer. They talk to us. They regurgitate it to the art buyer. And it's, I, I think they like it, to be honest. So we, based, based on that, do you think you'll go back to having a rep? I mean, you've had an agent for so long. Do you, do you kind of want to let that go? It's a big question. Yeah. I mean, so now it's been fine, right? Right. Um, it's been amazing, to be honest. But there's also a sales component to what an agent do, right? They don't just negotiate. They don't just mm -hmm. talk on your behalf. They are out there selling. They have relationships. So it's hard for me to, to know what the answer is. I've, if I'd known, I would have either gotten an agent or stepped away from it. But I, I don't. The market is changing. It used to be so that the agent would have your portfolio, physical portfolio, and step into an office and see these people and show the work, right? That's what it was when right. I started. Now that has migrated online, and then now there's uh, social media. So we just talked about this big assignment where they found me on Behance. That has nothing to do with an agent. That has to do with me and my assistant putting work up that's intriguing enough for someone to find it and connect with it and hire us. So that chain is very different than an agent sort of going out to sell me. So... Either I have an agent or I'll hire someone that will help me uh, build my presence on social media. So that would hopefully, it's two different ways of selling. Um, 
times are changing. We all yeah. know it, but mm-hmm. where it's going, I don't really know. So, are you having some of your brands uh, basically, or have you lost a job to someone who has maybe a bigger social media following to you, or has, has that ever been the deciding factor to win work? No, no, no not for me. Um, no, never been, yeah, never been level, asked. No. Right. So it's interesting because a lot of models, you know, get asked that stuff, but not for me. That haven't happened yet. So they would maybe hire models based on a higher following, but yeah. when it comes to the expression of it, they I haven't been asked. I I think that in all the people we've talked to, it's almost been fifty fifty. Like, oh yeah, that definitely happens, or no, I've never even heard of that. So I guess it really I, just depends on the genre and the, the genre and the level. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think that has a huge influence on where people are finding you. Yeah. Now we work with branding campaigns for big clients, right? So it's not it's not driven by the people involved. It's really driven by the placement and how they use it in their own marketing on their own websites. So they're trying trying to tell a brand story. They're not trying to have me take a picture and post about it. Mm-hmm. So it's how a many, little different approach. How many jobs are you currently doing? Uh, how, well, how many did you do last year? What's the limit for Eric Almas? No, we don't do that many. Um, maybe 20 jobs. So this last half year of work, we've done eight assignments. But they're big assignments. I mean, when they take three months. Oh, you know? I mean, we have millions and millions of dollars in billings. So yeah. it's not, yeah. it's a lot of work. And when you have one assignment where you're going to fly a full crew to Australia, two locations there, back to California, three locations here. Um, it, it's a lot of stuff that need to be planned that goes into it beyond just being there taking the pictures. Yeah. So it's a lot of effort. Can we talk a little bit about Stuart and how you, you rely on him and for what? I'm always curious as to how producers bring things to the table and, and what they provide for photographers. Wow. So I would say Stuart, my producer who I've worked with for a really long time, is not an ordinary producer. Um, there can be the people that say, okay, you need model, studio, catering. That's kind of it, right? And they just supply you the stuff you need so you don't have to think about it. Stuart is a creative partner for sure. And now also handling a lot of the um, communications with the clients. So I could be on one assignment and know that Stuart can be on conference calls with client and handle pretty much everything from talking about my process, uh, how things are going to happen both creatively and on the shoot. He would go through castings for me and say, these are sort of the top choices that I think he would like. He would take a lot of the burden off of my shoulders when it comes to the um, pre-production planning. I don't really do any of it. I trust him implicitly to do something that's... um, not only great, but just really yeah, exquisite. And he understands the composite process. So if we, this is a simple example, right? But when we come to this location where they want people standing on a dock and there's no beautiful background views uh, at the right perspective uh, where the docks are going along this beach. And he's the first guy that say, well, we build a dock. So then there's a steel deck, there's treatments like this. This is a set obviously that built, so he builds me a dock. And suddenly I could take a picture that's facing the right way with the right light. So there's small steps like that where he is truly involved in the process around it to make it happen and not just supplying what I ask for. Yeah. Was his background in photography at all? or did Yes. Because yeah. so, that, that makes a big difference. Stuart studied photography, assisted in photography, and through that became a scout. And he's a really wicked smart guy. So he just got asked to help out and produce. And then, yeah, now he's producing. For our listeners who didn't watch the tutorial, you 
do two different kinds of scouts. Can you explain what those are? What are they? The, the tech scout and then <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. the on-location scout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's always two components to a scout. So when we get an assignment, we... Well, first, obviously, it's a creative conversation about what this place is so that we know that we go out and look for a place that's appropriate for the assignment. And then we send out a scout. That wouldn't be me because we often carry... I don't know, we're going to see a house, we're going to see some fields, there's going to be different places within the campaign, right? So we send someone out that will come back to us with pictures of what these pictures or what these places are. So we look at that and we make a decision of where we want to go, but I haven't seen it, right? So they might be, what if there's a power line that goes through the scene or there's something we haven't seen in the scout pictures? And often scout pictures can be deceiving in the lenses they're shot with sure. and all that stuff. So that we forego any surprises, um, in the shoot process, we don't just show up and take a picture. We come there the day before, usually, or two days before, and then we assess where does the light come up, where does it set, what would be the best approach here, and then we go and shoot it. Have you ever gotten past a tech scout and gotten to the location and decided that wasn't a good location? Or do you invest enough time and energy into knowing that that first scout was good enough, even if you couldn't be there? Uh, we have re-scouted between the first scout and the shoot, but... I haven't come to a tech scout and said, nah, let's, let's just do it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a problem with budgets on the line. That's yeah, hard to do. Yeah, I know. Then you just have to perform as well as you can. The, I mean, I have been in situations, just an assignment that I shot maybe a month ago where we showed up and the weather wasn't great. So then I came back to, you know, using the computer and composites, I went back to that location when the sun was better or some light was better and the sun was out uh, two weeks later and I reshot the background plate. So who foots the bill when you have a whole production show up in the the weather and you got to come back? Is that you split it? Do they does the client need the cost? Uh, so there's no cost really involved in just myself going to a place and reshooting a backplate. Okay. So I'll I'll pride myself enough in my work to make that happen. I don't walk from a shoot thinking oh that could have been done better and then call up the client and say I want to make it better but you got to pay for it. Well, you I just, probably, I think what Gary's getting to is what happens if you get a rain out. I mean, which I'm sure you have a weather clause in your, in your contract. Yeah, and you can't shoot anything. Yeah. Um, it just happened on this Marriott assignment where um, we just came back later. They postponed it. It was right. November in, uh, in San Francisco, pouring rain, and we just shot it now three, three weeks ago. So they ended up postponing it. Uh, I was there in San Francisco that week when it was pouring. That's when my sister got married, and she asked me to photograph her wedding. It was the worst week of my life. Don't get him started. Don't get me started on that. It's a long but story. I know exactly that week because everyone was like, it hasn't rained since like last October or like whatever it was. I was like, well, this sucks. Yeah. But, you know, life happens. Yeah. So but clients in, usually foot the bill for that. Yeah. I mean, that's in, that, that's in not on the photographer. You can't that's, take a, yeah. Yeah. that's not our mm -hmm. responsibility. So there is weather clauses in there. So, out, so outside of photography a little bit, last time, I think we sat down and did a marketing uh, interview with we you did. that's on YouTube, and you recommended that our readers read uh, The Business Secrets of Trappist Monks. Yes. Which I read. Did you? Oh, yeah, I loved it. And did you commit to it? Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things in there that you, know, you can pick up just by, like, you know, just the idea of, like, servitude and, yeah. um, you know, relations, but... What I wanted to get at was, what are you reading now, and what are things like literature or even podcasts? What What are you into? Wow, parenting from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read Everybody Poops yet? No, no. <laughs> I did re did read from Dude to Dad, and now I'm on to parenting from the inside out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, podcast wise, I listen to Tim Ferriss. I listen to Anthony Robbins. 
those are my sort of go-to. Did you see the Anthony Robbins Netflix documentary that I, recently came out? I did, yeah. I thought that was pretty inspiring. I've been, I've been there. I did Anthony Robbins. You did? No. I did. I've been, wow. Yeah, for yeah, real? Yeah. Front was row. It, how was it? Was it the same type of show, like a presentation or what keynote? What? Yeah. Same one. Yeah. Well, so it's different every time, right? But the framework is the same. And it's powerful. Can you talk about really? it? Do you want yeah, to talk yeah. about it? Yeah, yeah. I don't mean yeah, to put you, you on the spot. No, no, no. I'm happy to talk about it. I'm happy what, to show so legit it. is yeah. what you're saying. What changed from you going in to you going out? Um, so there's sev- several different ones that he does, but I did the, is it Unleash the Power Within? So you get there the first day, and I think the last four hours of that is talking about overcoming fears, and it's really leading up to you walking on hot coals, right? With no shoes on? No actually, shoes on. Actually doing it? Actually doing it. Did it, you walk on hot coals? I walked on hot coals. Me and Stuart. I took Stuart down. That's a bonding thing for us. 6,000 people in Dallas wow. walk across 15 feet of burning coals. And what happened? How are your feet? I had a tiny blister. That was it. So they say if you... <laughs> no, it's true. So okay. it's about... To, you so weren't concentrating this, hard enough, he, Eric. He, he does this the first day, right? To really show that anything can be done if you put your mind to it. So you don't look at the coal, so you look straight ahead and you have this mantra where you say cool moss. So you got to visualize the texture of cool mossy forest and that's what you walk on. You look ahead and you just cross it. You don't even feel the heat. Okay. I get that. You're visualizing it's cool moss, but the physical reality is that is hot coal and flesh. Yeah. So how does... What did that smell well, like? They can't really explain flesh. it, right? They can't really explain it. And they say the few people that do get burned are the ones that start taking selfies or do other stuff that distracts them from actually walking across. They're taking a selfie while they're yeah. walking across hot coals. Duh, no wonder you <laughs> Sin, can you go out back and get the charcoal ready? We're going we're gonna to test this out. Yeah. It, it's actually so an you're extraordinary... Going first, though. We want to make sure the coals are hot enough. <laughs> it's a great experience. I, uh, so what happened to me... Um, so I followed the finance news, right? And there was this guy, I can't even remember his name now, but he was interviewed there and he talked about all the things and processes that he tried to put into place. And he's one of those guys that bought a lunch with Warren Buffett for so half a million dollars or whatever he paid for it, right? So he was his mentor. So he tried to get out of the, um, I got to follow the stock market every day and from that to become a value investor. And that wasn't so much about investing and knowing how to invest. It was really knowing yourself and the psychology of not following the market and this and that. And he talked about his experience with Anthony Robbins, thinking that this is just bullshit, but he'd gotten a lot of friends to recommend him. And he went there standing in the back and he came out of it five days later, just thinking this is the real thing. So I was at a time in my life where I thought I have the time, I'm going to go down there and going to be a part of this. So it was a finance guy that convinced me to do it, but it's, it's amazing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Have you seen specific returns or things that you've done afterwards for a year? Or have you developed habits? That's the hardest thing to do is develop, you know, habits. Yeah. habits. Yeah, yeah, no, so I have, for sure. So there's, you know, I've been at this thing of trying to better myself for a long, long time, working with coaches maybe for 10 years. So seeing Anthony Robbins was just one step there. But um, yeah, better and better. I try to at least, you know. You use different coaches. I could get into my morning rituals and all that stuff, but I'll save (laughs) us for later. You do use different coaches for different things, right? How do you you go about finding a coach? Uh, So I only had two in my my time. 
the first one, which was amazing for me. So I can tell you the story. Um, I came to this retouching house um, as an assistant to Jim Erickson, and he had started this retouching house. And he was their biggest client. I was their second biggest client. And young, right, coming into it and proficient at retouching myself, it was hard for me to articulate what I wanted visually to these retouchers. So when I was out traveling, I felt they were fucking in my pictures mm-hmm. and not understanding what I wanted. Which is easy for me to sit down and do it, but when you're somewhere else, someone else got to perform that task right. And the big eye-opener for me was when the lady running the company said, you got to make sure that these guys um, are not against you in this. You're fighting with them as if they're not trying to help you. You got to make sure that you speak a language that they are coming on your team so that you really work together to create right. your pictures. It was mind-opening to me. I was young at the time. It's about inclusion. Yeah. So she said, you should speak to a coach. And she had hired a coach for the whole retouching team to create that atmosphere, right? And this is, I think, early on in the sort of coaching times. It's Now it's all over the place. But um, she set me up with this guy. I was trying to meet with him several times because he works one-on-one. And he said, you travel too much. You should talk to my coach who works over the phone. The coach's coach. The coach's coach. So I get connected Damn, to my coaching. I know. And here's, <laughs> this, here's this guy who, just extraordinary, in his 70s, um, at the time practicing Buddhism, prior uh, Fortune 500 CEO. I don't know his story there, but I think there was a rocky road to sort of the bottom and then coming back up as a coach and Buddhist. So you have this guy, right, who is so philosophical, so eloquent with all things that deals with um, religion, which is fascinating to me. And then he has this business acumen. So he just set me straight for, I don't know, three, four years. Helped me with my first hires, helped me with my first fires, helped me with girlfriend problems. When you said set you straight, what did he do? The chiropractor uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Take no, a big breath and let it out. Uh, set me um, going from being someone that is really impatient and ambitious and want to succeed in this business of photography to someone that can recognize that this is not a one-man show. You need help in this journey and um, seeing everyone's talents and all that stuff, you know, that you have to surround you with. So I feel I went from... I mean, this is a work in progress, right? I'm not yeah. by no means perfect in this still. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he really created an awareness of self-help, really. My first meditations was done on the phone with this guy. Um, all that stuff. Now you could just pick up an app, right? But there was yeah, no there apps. All, there are all kinds of mindfulness apps now. Yeah. Do you meditate every day? Not every day. But yeah, I as try. As much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. 20 my minutes, girlfriend, 30 minutes? My girlfriend is better than me. So when we're together... It's, Erica, it's, she's your fiance. Oh, shit. <laughs> I keep saying that. Yeah, she keeps reminding me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she is very much my fiance. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, so, you made her pregnant. I know. <laughs> <laughs> made you pregnant. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Terrible choice of words. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she cannot see this. <laughs> we'll dub over. It's so funny. Yeah. We'll dub over in my voice. Yeah. That was a quick summary of the, all my last last year. So, so uh, I want to go back to meditation because I, I find that really interesting. What does that? What does a meditation look like for you? Um, so, two different kinds. So there's the quiet kind, which I learned first, and then I do something called priming, which came from Anthony Robbins. 
and he do this breath of fire breathing exercise and then you oh i remember that yeah grateful yeah. for three minutes you think about stuff you're grateful for yep. you breathe again then you're uh quiet for three minutes and then you breathe again and then you do a visualization of all the things you want to either accomplish that day for the year whatever it is right and then you're done 15 minutes so that's one meditation which is really quite amazing and then uh gratefulness every morning in the shower for me so it's when you talked about habits it's about stacking habits right so yeah. if you it's hard creating a completely new one but when you add habits onto one that you have already for me it was you're going in the shower every day you're quiet there and then at that time you do a gratefulness meditation so i start every day with in the shower closing my eyes and then go through my they say it takes 30 days to form a habit. Do you think that's true? I don't think that's true. I've been at things for 90 days and still let it go after. What do so, you think it was that allowed uh, you to let it go? I, it's just life gets in the way. I mean, yeah. I don't have a life that's nine to five, right? My life is so inconsistent. You're always on. Yeah. yeah. It's, so it's hard to keep uh, habits in that lifestyle, which is one of my struggles, right? How do you maintain good shape? How do you exercise regularly? How do you eat well? All that stuff that is hard when How you go do you through do that. If, if, like last time we talked, you didn't make one meal ever. You you were out all th three days a week or yeah. three times a day. Yeah, three meals a day. Three meals a day. Still, lots of wine, lots of cheese, lots of coffee. Yeah. He's fine. How are you so in fit? <laughs> you're you're so in shape and like. Or thank you. How do you do not it? You're as, on the road. Not as out? as I want to be. Yeah. I when so this last starting in October last year, I pretty much been on the road all the time till three weeks ago when this last job ended. So it's almost impossible. So now I feel inverse shape than I have been. As soon as I get home, though, I try to run four days a week and get into some sort of routine. Twelve espressos a day. I remember that. Right. You still on the twelve espresso a day thing? No, one, twi <laughs> I twice. I think it's a day, the slimming blue shirts. You're always in a in a tapered <laughs> blue shirt. <laughs> And the sweaters, he just sweats it out. He's just sweating it out on the plane. Oh, it's, a, it's a twice a day sauna. Uh, Funny. Yeah. So you're up in wine country. I am last, now, yeah. Last we were at your um, house, you introduced us to two great things. One is the Norwegian cheese. Which yeah, is yeah, that like stuff is peanut delicious. butter. What's Did it you called? bring any, by the way? It's brown cheese. No, you can get that stuff at Whole Foods. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, there's one place here in town that that sells, and it's it's amazing. What's it called? Uh, Ski Queen is what they call it. But it's a brown cheese. Yeah, essentially they caramelize it, mm -hmm. and it gives you that brown. Yeah, I was about to say texture. It's not texture. It has the texture of cheese, but um, it's good. It warms it up somehow, and it feels like you said, like peanut butter. Yeah, and then the other thing was a your impressive wine collection, but you have your own wine brand with Stories by the Glass. Stories by the Glass. Yeah. It's not quite a brand yet, but it's getting close, really close. So it's one of those things that you put on the back shelf, back burner. It was yeah, good. So it was the, really good wine. It's extraordinary wine. Yeah. So I can't really take all credit for that because there's a winemaker involved, right? So he is absolutely exquisite, and I'm really lucky to be able to partner with someone like that to help create wine for me. Um, so yeah, when the phone's not ringing, I try to pick that up and do something that's fun and interesting and distracting maybe. Is it available now? Can someone go online and get it? I have so much of it. So yes, it's available. But you <laughs> <laughs> Send an email to Eric. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not for sale yet, but it will be shortly. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Two, three months. Two, three yeah, months. Running. All right. We might have to be your first customer. We're going to have to buy a case. Yeah. yeah. What's well, fun sure, about it, though, I have to say, so it's called Stories by the Glass. And for each wine, there's a story and a narrative. And I've been creating still pictures and motion work for that. So not only is it sort of the wine part, but 
the premise is that instead of having, for me, often when you talk about wine, you talk about how it's uh, tastes right, but part of what makes it taste good is the experience around it. So if we hang out, we have a great bottle of wine, and someone asks you what it was about or how you liked that wine, you said it was amazing, and the people and all that stuff that went with yeah. it is probably further. Um, more in the forefront of your mind of what that wine was about than the actual taste of the, it. Yeah, right? the bonding experience. Yeah. So what we have done is to take a bottle of wine, give it to a storyteller, and they would have the wine and just write a little something about what that experience was. And I um, put visuals to that story. So it's been an amazing outlet for me to, one, start doing some motion work and also um, set pictures to something that's worded as a poem or a story or some other narrative. So it's really inspiring and it's fun to collaborate, right? We talked about during lunch that it's sort of a vacuum between photographers and creatives. And in this, I get to actually collaborate and create something beautiful, a lot of, lot of words, which I think is inspiring. That's awesome. We're going to be doing a beverage tutorial. So send us some of your bottles. We'll shoot them. I love it. Yeah. 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 Next month. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll Not have to sure. on that. I'd yeah. be great. Doing one on uh, beer, yeah. wine, yeah. cocktails. You name it, if it's alcohol or we're photographing it. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should send you all of it. There's six, seven different wines. That yeah, we're happy to do with. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Send it to me. We'll photograph it for you. You mentioned, a, you mentioned a second ago motion, and that's something we haven't talked about. Are you still doing motion and stills on a lot of your shoots? Yes. On the commercial shoots, it's, I think, nine out of 10 now. Wow. It's not the top line video stuff where they have the full-on production company, but they it's not effective for them anymore to come in and let's hire this whole crew to take a picture. It's pretty much for every assignment, there's the picture element. There's uh, supporting pictures to create a story or narrative around it. There's a cinemagraph or some other digital media that's going to make it more interesting as it goes online. Yeah. And then there's a video piece. And those video pieces are sometimes scripted and other times, let's just do a few pictures here and there. So they have snippets or something that can go in tandem with the still campaign. So it's more and more important. And I think being a hybrid artist, being able to do both and being fluid in both languages is super important if you're going to be relevant. So do you have a go-to team that you rely on to you know, run cameras, be your you know, first AD or? Yeah, so there's a couple of ADs that, not ADs, um, DPs, DPs. Yeah. that we used. So but not into the level of having ADs sort of running the show, you know, it's, it's myself, there's the assistants, and then there's a camera operator, there's mm -hmm. the DP, and if you need sound, there's a sound guy, but it's minimal. And I think that's where we can really shine as still photographers, right? They could create a better value in some ways, taking the still pictures and having a small footprint and small crew to create yeah. video snippets that still will look professional because you have all the support crew around it, but not as big as a full-on production. Sure. Do you find it gets in your way of making your stills at all? Does it detract or does it complement? Because it's a whole other component to think about and plan for. I love it, right? So we talked about the challenges, right? And mm -hmm. me connecting with people. This is another challenge I could take on. So I don't get stagnant in, mm -hmm. in my work. So, and I think that's easy, right? You talked about habits, you fall into this, this is what I do and this is who I am and you sort of keep taking the same pictures over and over, which is fine if you have uh, a solid career, but I'm afraid, but I can't be afraid. I'm so happy with what, where my career is at, all that stuff. But there's so many young photographers that are out there that's so hungry and so good at what they're doing. I can't stop thinking, oh, 
I'm Eric Olmos and I'm going to keep shooting this thing forever. I have yeah. to stay relevant. I have to evolve. I have to get better. And part of that is trying to think about how I could do so. So emotions and then also the video part is fun. So, so it doesn't get in the way. Yeah. That's what's the question. And the business will pass you by if you don't. I mean, if you're not involved with it growing and evolving and figuring out new ways to tell your stories, the business is going to pass you by. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think if you're a photographer 30 years ago, you would have had a lifelong career. I think now mm-hmm. you can be irrelevant so darn quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm up for an assignment now. I can't say the name, but he is probably 20 years I feel like an old school guy now at, you know, I always felt like I was a young up and coming guy, but now I realize that, you know, I've been at it for a long time, but we're up against this photographer who's probably 20 years older than me. And Stuart said, who's this guy? We're up against a massive retouching house that focuses on CGI. Then there's me, I feel in the middle. And then they have this guy who's a portrait guy, but there is sort of a special effect assignment. So they have probably presented to the agency, the CGI effects house that has their in-house photographers. There's the photographer that does both, which is me. And then there's the portrait guy that can focus on the emotional sort of stuff, right? So as an agency, I think they presented three really viable options. But Stuart goes, who's this guy? (laughs) And I had to explain. He's a monster. Yeah, who this really old school, extraordinary photographer is. But we haven't really seen or heard from him, right? Because he's not on social media. He's not that guy anymore. So, yes. That was a long answer. A long-winded but, answer. Yeah. Before we get off video. <laughs> you will be irrelevant if you don't grow or don't stay yeah, out absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah. Before Quickly. we get off video, I got one one last question. Because last, I, I saw you using the red. So with the new 8K helium that just came out, they're, they're finally saying, oh, this is where you can pull stills out. Is that yeah. something you're considering? Is that something that you're, you've looked into? Yes. And I, okay, so the... There's some, yes, yes and yes are the answers. You you can, and I think you should, and it's amazing, and I tried it. What it's lacking is a focus that could follow quick enough, um, and the cameras get too big, right? So it depends on your subject matter. Yeah. And there's also the shutter speed. You can now shoot at 125th and maybe even a higher frame rate, but then it becomes too... It's almost as if it gets too sharp and too quick, so the footage yeah. doesn't look so great, right? right? but then you can freeze the frames. You can't shoot 30th of a second and expect to get sharp pictures. And try to pull it, it just looks soft and it's not The great. other thing that's scary is the amount of data that is. Oh, it's oh, stupid. It's massive. Yeah. So massive. You, you think he cares about data? He's got yeah, 40 I sweaters. I think he does. I think he cares about every aspect of his company so he can buy this 40 is more sweater sweaters. This sweater sultan over here. Sultan of sweaters. Data you think he cares me. about pixels? Data is of no concern care. to me. Yeah. <laughs> data, what data? It's in the cloud. Who uh, cares? Yeah, I know. So there's, uh, I think if, if I were to get to a place which I like to get, where I do both, I still think I would shoot two different cameras. Are you still shooting on the, was it the 5D Mark III? Oh, the 5D um, S. 5D S. Okay. Yeah. I think our tutorial was maybe six or eight months before that that camera had come out. Before it was released, absolutely. I have to say, I shot with the Mark III and I shot with my face when I had to and shot portraits. Yeah. I have not touched my face since I got the 5DS. (laughs) <laughs> I know yeah, yes. a, yeah. a lot of people it, like, those files yeah. are extraordinary yeah. and the lenses are getting better and sharper and do you use I'm all not, I'm not that guy with a lot of cameras yeah. I mean I, I travel down here for four days with that do you use uh, Canon L series something. still or have you switched to like the Sigma art lenses that are coming out <laughs> no I use the L series lenses L series okay <laughs> well I ask because those are becoming I mean 
They're in terms of like getting but... popularity, but yeah. also on like all like um, the tests that they run, you know, for the, it's the best bang for the buck, according yeah. to the internet. According okay, to the I think I think for professionals though, there's still a bit of a barrier. Yeah, I've been not. Oh, the yeah. Sigma Art Series lenses. Yeah, I've been I not going into the Sigma it's, lenses. It's you wouldn't the, go into the it. lenses. It's no. the manufacturer. It's their history. And there's just a, a stigma. Are they shady. Yeah, shady? no, it's just <laughs> they were net. Initially, they were not quality lenses. They yeah. were the uh, cheap. No. You know, so they've gotten a lot better. They ha- they have definitely improved, but that doesn't mean that that pros, particularly people who have been working in the business for a long time, now trust that. Yep. I think it's going to take a while for those pros to actually have experience with them and to be like, wow, these are pretty amazing lenses. Yeah. You, know. you have that a set of lenses you love for motion? I just got myself this monster lens, and, yeah. I, and I love it. What is it? It's a um, 16 to 60 Canon. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, this yeah. big. Yeah. And it's yeah. a $60,000 lens that I got. I feel dirt cheap from Adorama used. Nice. I love it. That thing doesn't come off. It's really a studio lens. So for me, right. being a location guy, carrying this massive red, <laughs> <laughs> this lens that's this big. First yeah. of all, you know but, that he's not carrying it. Like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Byrne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Byrne, bring the massive lens to the set, please. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Actually, with that, we should probably wrap it up because you... Sultan of sweaters and master of blue shirt wearing need to get to a plane. I do. Off, I do. Off again. I hope this wasn't too off topic. No, I mean, this was great. We no, talk this sweaters is great. and meditation. It's the best part of our podcast is we don't just talk about. Yeah, we talk about crazy things. I feel like I should offer up some good advice or something. All right, but so yeah. did, instead, did, instead they got sweaters. Uh, <laughs> I got, I, all right. So, what advice do you have for young photographers coming into the game? I don't, really, I don't really have any, but no, you're so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You I just can't. set you up with a softball. <laughs> <laughs> you can't no, say, I want to give people advice, and but, then say, no, you, I don't have any advice. But you come into a podcast thinking, okay, I need to share something, right, that would be really valuable for anyone coming into the business. And I have to say, I've gotten so much great advice from all the people I worked with, so I'm so unafraid of sharing anything I know, given the tutorial and all that stuff, right? So, right. When we sat, when you guys said, oh, maybe you should do a podcast, it's all set up. Then I said, sure. And I started thinking on the way over, okay, what smart can I say? And here we are talking sweaters yeah, and meditation. That, and, people yeah. are interested in that. It's engaging. And I will, I, I will bet you they will pull more out than you ever believe they will. Okay. Yeah. And I have you an, never know what's going to resonate with somebody. I have an advice, though, that yeah. will connect it to pieces. I think if you want to accomplish a lot, I think you'll get ahead way faster if you turn off the TV and start doing some kind of mindfulness practice. Put the I think, phone down. Yeah, put the yeah. phone down. Uh, a lot of people really want, want to be photographers and they use you know, tutorials that I made and other people made more as um, educational entertainment, right? So they want to do it, but they don't really take action. So I think if you have watched these tutorials and instead of buying another one, go ahead and say, what in this tutorial can I commit to to make me a better photographer? And I say this as I've done it myself in buying books, right? So I love reading books like The Trappist Monks, where their philosophy is that you could find meditation, God, and all those things in consistent work, um, which I had sort of gone away from when it came to my retouching. So I take that away from that. But... Do I implement one philosophy from all these books? No. So I'd say if you if you want to get better or do something, just take the two or three things from the tutorials you already have. So instead of buying another one or another one thinking that's going to get you better or buying a new lens or buying something else, just commit to 
one thing every day that can make you better and stick to that. Maybe turn off the TV as I started with and be mindful about the process rather than thinking you can buy another lens to make yep. yourself mm-hmm. better. And that's why your tutorial, which was the first tutorial where we had assignments, where you gave incomplete backplates. So if you haven't seen Eric's tutorial that comes with the tutorial, you get TIFFs of your actual background images, background plates, and you have assignments from Eric where he gives you and challenges you to you know put that subject. Um, don't just copy what I'm doing. Don't just follow along with files that I give you. Actually get out there and shoot. And we've had some pretty stellar people submit in our private group which yeah, you've oh seen and you've, you've commented on yeah some of it was so surprisingly well where i thought holy shit!" you know no. if you take that and apply it to something that would be uniquely yours you could go out there and compete with me anytime now i have 20 years of marketing experience on you so people know who i am but you could start that marketing yourself today and catch up pretty quick i'm sure yeah. First step is actually you go to Norway, you get your sweater game on point, then you come back and get your photography up to par. <laughs> I'm going to Norway with you. I gotta up my sweater game. Yeah, it's week. To, you guys should do a tutorial there. That would be cool. Let's do it. All right. I'll produce it. <laughs> I saw right. you guys were listing producers. You're not gonna be the photographer on that one? No, I'll I'll show you around. All right. All right. I'll Let's bring go. some wine. You know, show you around. Some brown cheese. Brown Maybe cheese. I'll learn something. If you hire a really good photographer, I'll do it. Oh, all right. <laughs> Sounds good. Any yeah. recommendations? You know what? I'm doing a workshop with Peter Lindbergh. Ooh. Oh, yeah. We'd love to do one. Put in the good word. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? Okay, so, Put in the good word. So here's the thing, right? Santa, uh, this is not Santa Fe. Um, yeah. Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Yeah. I've gone there the last three years. This will be my fourth. And So you show up in class. <laughs> I could be in class with Eric Almas at Palm Springs. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Look over and there's Eric Thomas. It's, yeah. a, it's amazing. So there's two parts to it for me, right? When one, I want to continue learning and then it's just, just hanging out. It's a great community there. But this yeah. time they got Peter Lindbergh to show up and give a workshop. Absolutely extraordinary. So me and one of my best friends, photographer as well, we're going to hang out with Peter Lindbergh for three days. That's he's awesome. A, he's a hero in the business. So yeah, yeah let's do it. So, I mean, and you're at the... <laughs> You have so many extraordinary photographers that stunt tutorials with you guys, so why not, right? Yeah. Swing for the fences. Get one of the legends in here. Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Yeah. You. <laughs> well, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Blair, thank you again for stopping by. Let's get you to the airport. Let's get you out of here. Thank you. Good to all, see you. All this fun hanging out. Yeah. To subscribe to this podcast or to download this entire season, go to rggedupodcast.com. And we're also on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, all for free, and it always will be free. Thanks for tuning in. This is where, Rob, you need to sing the jingle, the outro jingle. I can't. I'm about to cough. I'm definitely not going <laughs> to sing right. the jingle. Next time. Okay, podcast is over. You can turn it off now. Go take some pictures or whatever you photographers do nowadays. <laughs>